Stuart. Thanks for your time here at Colney. Um, we'll come on to the actual season, but obviously it's the first chance we've had to, to have a chat with you about January uh, and what the club did in terms of ins and outs. Just firstly, give us your overall assessment of how the window looked from your perspective for Norwich. Yeah, I thought it was it was a pretty good window. I think if we looked at the objectives we've set ourselves leading into the window, um, we want to make at least two additions to help the first team here and now. Um, we would like a third, to be honest, and and that's that's a tinge of disappointment that we didn't get we didn't get the third one. But um, you know, we got two senior players, one of which we own in terms of Lucas Rupp, who I think will be good for the short, medium, and and longer term. And then obviously Duda. Um, who you know is a fantastic player you know with what he did last year in the Bundesliga and I think in his short time with us has shown that he's brought us um, something a little bit different which maybe we were missing in the first half of the season so I think from that point of view really good and then also I think looking uh, more to the midterm um, you know with the younger players that we sign in terms of Melvin City and um, Sam McCallum you know I think hopefully they'll prove to be sort of smart businesses um, business decisions in the future and you know will certainly help this club um, in the midterm and I think you know we obviously we talk about it a lot of it's you know it's never just today we have to be constantly thinking about tomorrow and the day after and and you know we've got to constantly you know i talk about him you know um, investing in the root not just in the fruit and i think um we try and do that every transfer window we try and bring a balance to it to, to make sure that the group um has got succession planned for the future um that we've got um you know talents all the way through the club whether that's from the under nines all the way through to sort of under 23s who are either ours or ones that we have to to buy in so i think overall uh, a pretty uh, pretty pleasing um pretty pleasing january i think certainly better than uh, than the summer you know i look back at the summer with um a tinge of disappointment um you know and, and i think you know probably um you know i and and we sort of you know let daniel down a little bit when i look back in the summer with some hindsight and think you know that wasn't a good enough window you know patrick didn't do well enough for us uh ibrahim didn't do well enough for us um and that's you know that's i have to take full responsibility for that and i've got no problem standing up and, and facing that and facing what questions come away on that but i think this january is much better um you know and gets us hopefully back on track for the second half of the season and uh, and obviously the midterm as well yeah, I mean, I wanted to press you on, on obviously Roberts and Amadou specifically, but before we get to those, the lads you did bring in, the two essentially younger players in the last week of the window, what have you got and why were you so keen to bring those in, Melbourne City and, and Sam McCallum? Yeah, so I mean, both obviously different players in terms of their positions and, and profiles, but... Um... You know, Melvin's a player we've been watching in France. We've been watching in France for quite a long time. Um, you know, one of our scouts, uh, Lee Dunn, who does France, flagged him really early, and um, you know, he's been sort of through the process. and And I, f I felt I felt he fit the bill of a, of a Norwich sort of signing and, and the type of signing we make. So he's a young player. He's playing some first team football. He's got a really good profile from a physical point of view. Uh, he was out of contract in the summer, so he was you know a we could afford him, and b he was he was willing to come. So that sort of like ticked a lot of boxes for us he's you know he's got a lot to do and, and the step when he comes here in the summer is going to be really big for him um and then similar with sam mccallum you know sam you know we are a little bit short in terms of homegrown players that, that's that's a fact um you know so we've got to do that also if you look at left backs are so hard to find um in in this sort of day and age so to have him with his athletic profile but but also with sam his route is really interesting for us you know i think we are a club who give opportunities for players who 
come through a different sort of route as well and you know if you look from his non-league stuff uh, through to going to Coventry and, and his growth in 18 months at Coventry has been sort of quite incredible really you know they're second as we stand here in, in Division 1 in League 1 you know, it's a real tough league to play in you know it's the same level that you know Ben Godfrey went and had all his games for Shrewsbury for example so with him it was an opportunity to get a really highly rated young player who's got a lot to do and a lot of work to do um, but for us our only opportunity to get him was that now if we would have waited till the summer it would have become too expensive maybe bigger clubs would have been able to get him and certainly if Coventry got promoted or get promoted and then he starts playing championship football we're out the race then you know I've always said that we can't afford established British championship players uh, they're, they're so hard to get um, so you know it's about us taking some calculated risks to get them early and I think as we've proven some of them work out outstandingly well um, and some of them don't and, and, and that's a fact but we have to be quite philosophical about that in terms of not getting too caught up on the successes, you know, of, I don't know, a Buendia or whatever, uh, but then also not getting too down on when one goes wrong, like a Ben Marshall, because, you know, in terms of recruitment, you'll never get them all right and, you know, you'll never get them all wrong. But when you're dealing with, with the resources that we're dealing with, we have to take risks. You know, we took risk on a Tim Krul, we took a risk on a team, on a, on a Tim, um, on a Timu Puki. You know, we took risks on you know, Sean Raggett, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that's our model. And with that, you know, um, comes somewhere they don't work, but, you know, it's very much risk versus reward, but both of them players certainly fitted in and the tighter profile of player we look for. Wouldn't expect you to, to, to talk in terms of uh, the cost of a McCallum deal, but the, the reports from, from the Midlands uh, media was that, you know, you paid upwards of sort of three million pounds. I mean, is that, that seems an awful lot of money, but you're smiling there. So uh, is that something you want to come back on? Yeah, I mean, I've I've obviously read the stuff as well, and and listen, the, the guys up at Coventry have got a job to do. To you know, they've sold the best asset, um, and that's probably disappointed a lot of people up there from within the club and the supporters. So, yeah, listen, you, I think everyone knows us well enough that we're not paying three million pounds for a uh, for a nineteen year old who's played twenty one games in in League One. You know, can the deal get up towards them figures? Yeah, absolutely. If he plays for England and comes and plays thirteen games for us, of course he can. Like most of our deals are structured in a way that if the player really succeeds the club that they've come from should be part of that a bit like us with Madison with the sale you know if he goes and plays for England and Leicester get in the Champions League of course we should get a little bit more reward for that so yeah of course the figure was nowhere near the reported 3 million guaranteed I can't obviously say what it was for, for you know you'll appreciate the reasons why but yeah we wouldn't be paying that for, for a young player like that You've touched on, on the two uh, obviously did work and you've spoken about the um the role in the dice almost element of recruitment as much as you try and be as scientific as you can be but Patrick Roberts didn't really get a look in uh, in terms of the Norwich first team he went back and then he's obviously now moved on to Middlesbrough and then on the final deadline night itself he allowed Ibrahim Amadou to go back to Spain why did you make those calls in, in the window and why do you think those two didn't work yeah I think if we look at Patrick first you know I was really disappointed with that um you know, I, I truly believed that, you know, Patrick would come here and be able to make a difference. Um, that didn't happen. Um, facts is, he, you know, he didn't do do enough when he had the opportunities and then probably in the end he didn't get enough opportunities due to the form of Buendia, Campwell and, and Hernandez, in fairness, you know, it's, uh, if you look at it, who would have predicted Todd pretty much playing every game and having six goals and two assists at this stage of the season, you know, so I think circumstance lent itself to that and you know I, I you know I had a good relationship with Patrick and obviously a really good relationship with Man City and you know myself Daniel the guys at Man City Neil Adams had a real honest conversation probably in about November of listen if Patrick needs to be playing football 
you know, he's a young footballer. He had a, a stop-start season last year at um, Girona. He couldn't afford to have another stop-start season this year. Unfortunately, that's how it worked out uh, through nobody's fault. It sometimes happens. So we made the call urge to go, right, let's let him go back in January and go out and play some football. Patrick agreed with that. His agent agreed with that. You know, and we all shook hands at the end and, you know, we, we look back and go, it didn't work. As disappointing as it didn't, that's a fact. Um, and then if you look at Ibrahim, um, Ibrahim, we actually didn't really want to go, if we're honest, but we looked at the situation again and suddenly thought for the first time we got three centre-backs fit. Tim Closer is in a million miles away, so that, that cover area there, maybe, you know, he wasn't needed. Um, and the facts are that when fit, uh, Alex Tetty or, or Tom Tribal were ahead of him in the pecking order as a defensive midfielder, that, that's a fact. So again, it came back to an honest conversation that, that you know I had with the player and, and with Daniel and, and the agent to go listen we'd love you to stay but can we guarantee you're going to play much football no we can't so if there is an opportunity that you want to go we're not going to stand in your way because you know one thing myself and Daniel are big on are, are not killing players careers and not you know not being so selfish that you keep someone on the off chance that you might need them for 10 minutes in a game. We don't believe in doing that. Um, you know, and Ibrahim made it really clear that he wanted to go and he needed to go and play some football for his career. And uh, we totally respected that. So um, obviously came a lot later than we expected. That was literally lastminute.com. But um, yeah, off he went and, you know, we wish him well and really disappointed it didn't work out because, you know, he was a signing that we truly believe was going to come and make a, a real big difference to this team and um, and that didn't happen at the same time he helped us out at many opportunities and got us out of a hole and he'll always be remembered for playing in that Man City game I'm sure he'll be one of the names that you know in 20 years when people are saying name the starting 11 he might be forgotten a little bit but you know he'll be part of the club history I think forever because of that because of that game but for sure we expected and wanted him to have uh, done a lot better and he didn't and for that um, we have to be disappointed in terms of, I mean, if we if I was to list all the players you were linked with in January, then we'd probably <laughs> still be here tonight. But uh, there was one that did seem a little bit of traction behind. Is is there anything uh, with with the young lad from Luxembourg, Daniel Sinani? Mm -hmm. Is there an interest there? Is there anything you can tell on that? Yeah, so for sure, he's a he's a player of interest to us. He's out of contract in the in the summer. Um, it, we're never going to bring him in January. That was never on our uh, on our agenda, to be honest. Um, but yeah, he's one we're interested for the for the medium term. He's um, he's a good player, um, albeit playing at a very difficult sort of level to to really sort of assess. But uh, again, he he maybe fits a little bit the type of player that we look for. So if we could do something, we'd be really happy. But you know, respect. He's under contract at the club. He's at at the moment, and uh, although we, you know, with a European player, we can officially speak to him. Um, you know, I don't think it's right to talk too much about him. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and go we don't know him or he's not a player of interest because he is. Uh, speculation obviously works both ways in terms of players you might be linked with, and as again any Norwich fan would, would know, uh, your better younger players. Um, so in January, despite all the speculation, was there any decision to be made? Was there any firm offers that you had to sit down and? have a conversation with with the various parties here with any of your key players no um, and to be honest it was a disappointing month from that point of view in terms of just the constant speculation you know that we had to deal with every day uh, we had to deal with every day Max Todd Pookie Buendia uh, Ben Godfrey you know every day in the media of this club that club that club and it's a bit like you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work at one of these big clubs. When you want to play, you just go and sign them. You don't, you don't mess around. You don't leak it in the, you know, Daily Star and the Sun. 
you go and get the deal done. And I think all this noise around them, I think it's really hard for our players to contend with. I think it's hard for their families to contend with. And I actually find it really disrespectful to our club. You know, we're playing Premier League football. We've given every one of these players an opportunity. You know, Grant Hanley said something in the media a few weeks ago. Someone sent it to me where he's like, you know, this club doesn't owe the players anything. And he's right. This club doesn't owe the players or staff or anyone anything. This club's given us all an opportunity. And every one of them players in that dressing room has had fantastic opportunity, been fantastically rewarded for what they've achieved at the club so far. So when I see this constant speculation and, and the assumptions that, of course, if Norwich go down or even if they don't go down, you know, these players will be sold. It's like, uh, hang on a minute, you know, when players were signing four and five year contracts, um, we couldn't then turn around and go, if they didn't perform, can we have the money back? It doesn't work like that. Likewise, if, you know, they suddenly go, oh, we want to make a move, they don't just go, you know, and I think um, people have short memories. You know, we sold James Madison for over 20 million when we were in the championship. Um, and at that time, we were desperate for money. We're now in a situation, whatever division we're in, that we're not desperate for money. So players will only ever go um, on our terms. And, you know, and I'd, I'd ask for people to remember where they've come from, um, for the people around them to respect what this football club has done for everybody. Um, you know, it's made people and a lot of money been able to play at the highest level uh, with a coach that gives unbelievable trust. Um, and don't disrespect that. And don't just think that, you know, oh, in the summer I'll be off because it, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's about being good people uh, being humble, being respectful. And you know what? If the time comes that one of these massive clubs, which are linked every day, want you, no problem. We have a conversation. We understand our players, our staff want to work at the highest level possible. Absolutely. But there comes a time for that. And I think if you look at, say, the Liverpool game on Saturday, you look at some of their players, take Trent Alexander-Arnold, that is what world-class looks like. You know, we've played games where you see Harry Maguire, bang, no, that's world-class. That's a level that we should all want to sort of aspire to, you know, whether that's me and my role wanting to aspire to be Michael Edwards, the sporting director at Liverpool, because that's what world class looks like in my role, not what I've done so far, or whether it's players. And I think it's about um, people remembering that and remembering the steps that it takes to get that and not just, you know, maybe the ego taking over of the people around them of, oh, I'm a Premier League player now. Well, no, at the minute we've proven that we're good enough to be 20th in the Premier League. Um, and quite frankly, that's not where we, any of us want to be. So, um, yeah, it was a frustrating January um, because I think it breeds a little bit of distrust between everybody of what if there was a bid or whatever. And, and yeah, it, it was disappointing. And it was a tough month of, you know, Daniel every three days having to respond to it, myself having to respond to it um, when, frankly, there was nothing there. And, and that, yeah, it becomes annoying, to be honest with you, and it becomes very draining. Um, and you just want people to just let these guys focus on being the best footballers it can be. And you know what? If Man United, Tottenham, Arsenal, whoever want them, they'll come and get them when the, when the time's right because they don't need to mess around. You know, Man United proved that. If you take Dan James last year, they don't mess around. They just go and sign him. That's what they do because they've got that much power and that much money to do it. Um, if Man United want one of our players, they can definitely afford them and definitely attract them. So... Let, they won't mess around if the time comes they'll come so um, yeah it was a tough month but they're still here um, which was no surprise to me um, and yeah we'll see what the summer brings but certainly it won't be uh, if anyone wants to go it won't be easy okay and, and on that point and it's probably worth me stressing that we sat here and there's still 12 games left in the season and okay we all know the mathematics and the gap very very difficult but there is still a chance you can still be in the Premier League but Clearly, in your role, you wouldn't be doing your job if you wasn't planning for various different scenarios, whether you're in the Premier League come the summer, whether you're back in the Football League. Is it a case now that you have to prepare not just 
almost two plans. But but within that, you know, as you say, there's so many moving parts. If that player went, would we have a replacement lined up? If that player went, on the flip side, you probably, if you're in the championship, you'd look to refresh the squad to give Daniel the best chance of coming back. So in your mind, is it almost working overtime and going into the summer period, irrespective of what league you're in, that there are not just one or two plans, there's got to be within that subsets of various different scenarios that you've got to plan for in your role now? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's constantly the job. I think the only time it wasn't was probably after Christmas of the first year, when we probably knew we were going to be in the championship. Well, barring we were going to win 15 out of 15 at the end, which we, we were never going to do that. Um, so that made it easy because we knew right we're in a championship let's let's sort of get get planning um last year was difficult because we had both scenarios again of okay we could be in the premier league here because we've genuinely got a chance of getting promoted or we could still be back in the championship and this year's the same you know we could be in the premier league or we could be back in the championship so yeah it's our jobs to constantly be looking at them plans being prepared for both situations um so that you know so that daniel can really focus on the short term of, of trying to get results because you know there's 12 games left plus a cup game you know we've still got a, you know another competition which we can win sounds ridiculous but we're in it so you know let's not you know um we don't believe we can win it let's not let's give all the nine thousand people their money back and not turn up at spurs um so we have got still opportunities this season i think if you look at the performances since we've had center backs available um you know they've been very good there's probably only man united away where i thought we weren't good enough i think the other games you can genuinely make a case for we could have won every game now, of course we could have lost every game um so we're not far away and that has to give us belief in in the last 12 games because again if not let's just not bother to turn up at wolves on sunday or, or leicester the following friday you know we're you know we're in every game and we, and we look a really good team and we don't look far away um facts are we'd rather have more points absolutely and you know maybe we'd rather have more points and look a million miles away but you know we are where we are and until it's mathematically impossible we have to keep going you know if you look at over the years gone by leicester when they stayed up the year before they won the league you know they were dead and buried really sunderland have done it you know it's possible we're not talking about trying to you know come back from you know 10 points adrift with only nine points to play for that's impossible you know we're talking about a situation here of you know if we win half of our games six out of the 12 we'd have an unbelievable opportunity now to win six is going to be difficult we've only won four all season so you know to suddenly go and win six out of 12 is a big ass absolutely but you know we're not a million miles away and i think it's been really pleasing this year how the players the supporters um the coaching staff have have kept that belief throughout because you know you wouldn't turn up here and think this is a club at the bottom of the Premier League and it's doom and gloom um, but I think you know we, we messaged and we set out our stall from the start this is going to be hard this isn't a surprise to us that it's difficult we're not sat here going we weren't expecting it to be hard we did um, and you know and as Daniel talks about we're trying to work on a miracle and if we can create that brilliant if we can't well we'll be prepared for, for what comes next and um, in my job that's the key is you have to be prepared and, and not get too caught up in the here and now um because you've got me thinking about you know the medium and the long term and if the worst happens right think about how do we get back up if the best happens how do we make sure we're not in a situation again where we're seven points adrift in february you know that that's that's the things that we need to think about and we need to improve and get better at as you rightly said yourself daniel really anybody at the club as soon as almost promotion was secured you went into this next challenge with your eyes wide open talking about the everest analogy but now you're uh, you know six seven eight nine months down the track um how have you found the challenge is there anything at all that surprised you on or off the park about the premier league uh probably the biggest surprise has been the 
intensity of interest from the outside. You know, no disrespect when we're in the in the championship. Media-wise, it's the local guys. Pretty much every week, the national don't care. They don't talk about us. You know, it's funny now watching the championship and you know watching clubs and stuff. It's like actually no one really sort of cares until you get right towards the line at the end. Um, whereas the Premier League, everybody cares. You know, when you're playing Liverpool at home. Every TV station's there. Everyone wants a piece of it. Everyone wants a piece of your players. Everyone wants a piece of your staff. And, and that's been uh, much more bigger than I thought. Um, the ruthlessness of the Premier League is, is frightening in terms of, I don't believe we're the worst team in the league. I don't believe that. But we're certainly not ruthless enough if you look at what clubs do. When, you know, when other clubs get chances against us, they score. You know, Crystal Palace have one chance to score. They get a point. You know, Crystal Palace away, two chances to score. You know, they don't, you know, mess around. Whereas, you know, we make a mistake, we get punished. And if we don't take our big chances, it, it really sort of hurts us. So I think that ruthless nature of it, um, I think early doors of players dealing with the physical change of it in terms of the intensity. So yes, it's less games, but it's definitely more intense. Um, but then also dealing with everything which comes with being a Premier League player, they suddenly are famous, they are suddenly earning more money than, uh, than they have before. And, you know, and that takes time to, to adapt to. And I think you know, they've come out of that better people and better players at the other end. But there's been times in the season where that's been, uh, where that's been difficult because you know, the ego takes over and maybe the friends and family around some of these people are constantly telling them that it's not your fault, you're bottom of the league, it's someone else's fault. And it's like, no, take responsibility. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a big eye-opener. Um, would I do things differently again? Certain bits, yeah. Definitely made some mistakes. Certainly have some regrets. You, you can't have regrets, but you know, I've made some mistakes where I think, you know what, that, we weren't well enough prepared for that. Um, you know, and but then on the flip side, I look at it and go, well, through this experience, the players have grown, the staff have grown. We've paid off a training ground. We've cleared what would have been a black hole, which would have had to have been filled by a player sale. Um, you know, we've shown that we can compete at this level in terms of our style of football. You know, yes, we need to be better even more at it and we need to have better players potentially in it. But, you know, we've proven that we can come and compete at this level. So I think it's been, uh, I've learned on a personal level a lot. Uh, I think we all have. Um, and I'm sure there'll be more learnings now because we're now coming into the, the crunch time, the final 12 games where, you know, people's nerves come and go. We had it last season, you know, we... we went on a run, I think we lost one of our last 16, 17 games or something, you know, when the pressure was really on, you know, and Leeds and Sheffield United dropped points. So maybe can it work this time that, you know, we play and when the pressure comes on, we can stand up and be a bit more counted than maybe the ones, it's a different challenge, but the ones above us, maybe they start looking over and panicking a little bit. So I think, um, yeah, I'll be, I think it's still, I think there's still going to be a few twists and turns, yeah. And as you say, the focus firmly inside the club, you get that sense speaking to you today is on these next 12 games, but you touched on it there again about the underlying path that this club is on, that, that you've obviously shaped in your position, uh, you know, the investment in young players or the belief in young players, trying to be astute with your recruitment, um, that philosophy, that buy-in on and off the pitch. So as you have done probably every season you've been here, I know you get to the end of the season and you go away and you have a debrief with the key people. When you do that this summer, despite, as you say, quite openly admitting that the mistakes have been made in certain areas, do you still think you, or are you still convinced that the, the path that you've set this club on is the right path and you just need to continue down that track? 100%. Because if you look at where we are to three years ago, we've got a younger average age squad. Uh, we've got incredible asset value on the pitch. Um, 
you know, we've got three players who are playing England and 21 football regular. You know, that, that's not easy to achieve for any club, let alone Norwich City. We've got a, basically a new training ground. Um, the stadium's looking great and, you know, fair play to, to Ben and the team up there. You know, the stadium's looking miles better than what it was in terms of new dress rooms and the perimeter boarding and all that sort of stuff. You know, I look at fan engagement where it's gone in three years and the relationships we, ne- we now have in general with... Um, with the supporters is brilliant. I look at the academy productivity. You know, we've produced more academy minutes in the last three years than we had in the previous 15. You know, so, you know, our recruitment policies, you know, I think, again, the recruitment team have proven that, you know, we can pluck, whether it's a Tim Krul who could end up getting a Dutch call-up for nothing, through to an Emmy Buendia for one and a half million who, you know, proven that he can be a Premier League player. So I think there's so many things going right and that we've done right, I think we have to stay on that path, is my first opinion. And don't get me wrong, people above me in the club might disagree and, and get rid of me. But in terms of if my beliefs, is we have to continue on this path and we have to keep getting better at it because I think we've proven that it can work. I look at it now and go, let's say in the summer, whatever position, whatever league we're in is irrelevant, we sell a player for 50 million. Previously, when we sold James Madison, we didn't see a penny of that. That went into that black hole. And that summer, we sold him and we sold Josh Murphy and we sold Marley Watkins, over £30 million worth of money. And to be honest, we were able to buy a couple of players with that. This time, if we've got £50 million, we're not going to spend £50 million on players because that doesn't really fit our model, let's be honest. You know, it'd be like plopping a brand new Ferrari in, in, a, you know, in a Vauxhall showroom or something like that. It's like we try and make our own Ferraris. But what we'll be able to do is develop even more on the training ground, even more with young players, um, develop the staff even more, um, have money in the bank for future transfer windows so that you know, if we're going to work as a self-funding club, and that's what we are, we have to be constantly thinking about how do we generate income for ourselves. And in some cases, it might be, might be through players, not generating income where oh, it's going to fill a black hole because we overspent two years ago or three years ago or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like having in your normal life, you know, working, you got your mortgage and stuff like that. And it's like getting a paid a bonus and going, that's actually to clear a credit card, which I, I you know, I, I went and blew on a holiday three years ago, which was a waste of time. It's like, now it'd be like, okay, we get a bonus, brilliant. Well, we can build an extension or we can, you know, get a new car or whatever, you know, and it'll be the same, same for us, you know? And I think um, that makes it, in my opinion, exciting it definitely makes this model more sustainable because it's suddenly we're cash generating and then if you look at what we're trying to achieve is we're trying to then bring through the next as well so it's not just oh we've had one set of young players brilliant that word because you can get lucky you can get a fluky group or whatever it's like the constant obsession about who's the next one you know josh martin's now training with the first team everyone's seen adam ida make his premier league uh, debut this year you know we've signed a sam mccallum a melvin city or whatever and who knows if any of these will end up being and being able to replicate what Max and Jamal and Toddy and Ben have done so far. But the fact of the matter is that's a clear plan and philosophy for us. That's what we want to try and do. Now, if the product's not right, so if we don't give Daniel a good enough young player to do that, well, he's not, he said before, he doesn't give out gifts and, and nor should he, because then the level of the team comes down and that's what we don't want. But I think overall, I think the path going forward is exciting from the business point of view and and the, and the club growth which is the most important thing in my opinion in terms of this Norwich City being a healthy vibrant forward moving club is definitely good does that help ease the pain of short term being 12th league absolutely not absolutely not you know you lose sleep you're miserable you feel like you let people down there's nothing worse than than being in our situation trust me even when on the flip side you know that we're in a really healthy place um but the fact is we've run it to make sure that we are in a healthy place that we can avoid 
what we've been through, which is, oh, catastrophic relegation. What we're going to do now? We've got an old squad. We've got the wages are too high. You know, what do we do? Or, oh my God, we stayed up by the skin of our teeth. We need major investment to try and stay there. We haven't got that. Oh, well, we go down the next year, you know, because we're just too old and not good enough. I think we're trying to make sure we, we get out of that cycle and you know, our aim is to come established in the Premier League at some point. And I believe as, as in our model, the only way is constantly developing younger from within and, and having a way of playing and, and having a culture. And eventually you can be good enough to stick in there. If I look at clubs in the last few years, I think Jurgen Klopp talked about Mainz. You know, Mainz is a story of up, down, up, down, up, down, bang, stuck. You know, uh, Burnley, you know, done it a completely different way. But, you know, you look at them, they went up, they come down. It wasn't panic stations. It wasn't like, oh, my God, the world's ended here. It was, that's all right. It's, we're going to build. Whereas, you know, we could have taken the route of blowing our brains financially, potentially still getting relegated. Because, I mean, take Aston Villa, you know, they're, what are they five, six points ahead of us. And, you know, what happens to them if they get relegated, you know? Whereas for us, we've given ourselves a chance of staying up. Yes, it's a small chance and, and it's going to be difficult. But at the same time, if the worst happens, it doesn't mean our club, com our club crumbles. And I think for this community, under this model of ownership, that's actually the most important thing. And we, as hard as it is, we have to protect that and not protect our own egos and go and do things just to try and stay there, just to try and help ourselves feel better. We've got to do what's right for the club constantly. Good more if I can, Stuart. And, and key to what you've mapped out there in that answer is, is the fans. And you touched on the engagement and you feel it's a lot better well probably transformed from when you first arrived at the club you only have to go back to last Saturday final whistle the ovation that that crowd give Daniel and those players um, for their efforts in that game obviously against probably one of the best teams ever but maybe over the whole season how important is that moving forward and, and where do you think that relationship is at the minute between the fan base and, and the club uh, listen, I think it's overall it's it's, it's very good I think um, you'll always have the minority but let's talk about the majority I think the majority I think the majority can see what we're trying to do. I think the majority appreciate that we speak honestly, you know, whether that's Daniel in the media updating about a situation or an injury and stuff like that. We don't try and pull the wool over our own supporters' eyes, you know, whether it's the owners being at a supporters group. They talk honestly, and I, and I think the supporters appreciate that. I think they appreciate they've got a group of players who literally don't leave anything behind. You know, they work so hard. We try and play a brand of football which entertains, you know, and, and I look at, life I'm a football fan of if I turn up and pay my money to watch my team I'd love to see us win absolutely but you know what I want to watch a team trying to play football a certain way I want to watch a team who fight who show that they've actually got a bit of pride in the shirt and I want to see a team who at the final whistle win lose or draw show appreciation back to me as a supporter that you know what you've come out on a miserable night you've paid a lot of money I appreciate you coming to watch me and I think um that connection which Daniel and the players have brought with the supporters on a match day is 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 quite special, um, and I think gives us a unique strength and bond. But it's something that we don't take for granted, um, absolutely not. And and also I think the supporters don't take it for granted as well because I think they've probably supported the team over the years where maybe players do walk straight down the tunnel or the manager doesn't bother coming to acknowledge them and, and stuff like that. So I think both sides appreciate it, but we've all worked hard as well, you know, and, and fair play. The supporter groups, um, you know, like along come Norwich and, and these guys and work they do around the stadium, you know, like, like the Barclay end from now to the first time I came against Barnsley a few years ago to meet Delia and Michael and people were laughing when Josh Murphy kicked a ball out for a, for a throw and when it was a shot. Um, you know, I look at that connection now and it's taken huge leaps and bounds and the hard work from um, people like Lynette, Ben Kensel, uh, Joe Ferrari when he was here, Dan Holker now he's here, you know, like that 
it's been a lot of hard work so we Callahan Bates people who are really sort of trying to no let's work with the supporters let's try and make this a really good place to come and watch football where supporters enjoy themselves they feel connected to the players and the team and we have to do that because we are a community club and we can't say we're a community club and then close the doors constantly if you're a community club you've got to open the door and be a community or you know say you're not a community club, say that we're a global brand and, and do it a different way. But I think it's grown massively and, and you know, I asked, you know, supporters at this last 12 games, we need them. You know, we need them massively. You know, it, it's easy. I've said it before. It's easy to get up for Ipswich at home. It's easy to get up for Liverpool at home. Of course, it's in the best players in the world and, you know, or Man City. It's actually when we play West Ham, when we play Southampton at home, Leicester on a Friday night, that's when we really need you. Because the players actually don't need you when it's going well. No, I'm not being rude. They don't need you at that point. They actually need you now. This is a moment where as football fans, we need them, you know, and 9,000 going to Tottenham is a massive boost to everyone in the club because that tells us as staff, it tells our players of, look at that. Look how many people are behind you on a Wednesday night at Tottenham when the tickets aren't cheap. It's not like they've done some super duper deal. It's like, you know, pretty expensive for an FA Cup game, let's be honest, on a Wednesday night. Um, but to take 9,000 there is incredible. And that, you know, what a confidence boost that is for our players and staff to go, right, these people are behind us. And we are so desperate to reward them. It, it's unbelievable desperate. You know, after every game, uh, the players talk about it, the staff talk about oh, how good are the fans up at Newcastle 2000, you know, sat up in the gods, you know. And then we are so desperate to repay them with what they want and what they deserve. Um, and that's all I can say is people are working here so hard to try and make people's dreams come true and you know we, we won't give up until it's impossible and if it is impossible we'll come back and have to do it again uh, and to that end if that's the way it pans out the next 12 games final question we all know Daniel Farker is the man you earmarked to to drive this forward in tandem with you and, and the relationship you've got and you, you, any, anybody you connect to this club only has to go back to the journey that you took the team on uh, and the supporters but just where are we with Daniel? Because there was, he did a little bit of media there back in Germany before the Liverpool game and, and he read between the lines. He was asked about if the club were to go down, where would that leave him? And he said, no, look, look at my career. I've always honoured my contracts. This is the best place for me. This is where I want to be. So Daniel's stating his position, just from, from your position, from the club's position, position where, where would we be if that scenario played out in the summer with Daniel in his future? If we got relegated? Yeah. Yeah, listen, in terms of Daniel, you know, he's a loyal man, you know, he's never broken a contract yet and, and we wouldn't expect that. But also we have to be realistic, you know, Daniel's proven in his time before Norwich, that's why we, we went to try and get him. Um, and since he's been at Norwich, that he's an outstanding coach, outstanding person. Um, you know, you look at tactically what it was, you know, I, I got laughed at um, on the first press conference when I said, I believe we've got the best coach in the league. You know, people laughed at that comment. I wasn't joking. I didn't, it wasn't a flippant comment. I truly believed it. And Daniel will go and uh, manage and be a head coach in the Champions League. Absolutely, that that day is going to dawn on us at some point. And if that comes before the end of his contract, as we always do, we'll have an honest conversation about it. Um, but one thing I know with with Daniel and and the club know with Daniel is he is loyal and he's not a guy who's going to go looking for upper opportunities. It's very hard if an opportunity comes to him. You know, if Bayern Munich ring up him or Dortmund or whoever and say, listen, we want you to become our head coach. It's very hard then. Similar, like I said before, about a player, if Man United ring, it's Man United. You know, you have to listen to that phone call, unfortunately. You know, whether people like that or not, you have to. Um, but, you know, we're, listen, we're unbelievably uh, fortunate and grateful that Daniel's here. You know, the job he's done for this club 
over you know what is almost three years now which is incredible how quick that's gone but you know where this where he's taken this club from to where it is now on all of them aspects we've spoken about youth development only works if he if he gives opportunities smart recruitment decisions only works if he gives final yes i'll bring that player and then work and develop that player because these players didn't all come in as a final product look at tim cruel tim's first few games were, were difficult for him we all know coaches and managers who would have chucked him in the bin at that point, but Daniel's supporting him. So that, Tim doesn't work unless he gets that full support. Support or engagement and, and that stuff, that does not work unless the guy at the top leading that group of players reminds the players and himself and then leads by example on how important it is to do that. You know, the culture of the club doesn't work if, if he doesn't lead and, and do that. It doesn't work. So the job he's done for this club is incredible and I said it after um, before we got promoted last year when he signed a new deal this club me personally and I'm sure Delia and Michael won't mind me saying it them as well will always be indebted to him whatever happens and if the day comes where he leaves which I'm sure it might happen one day you know it'll be with people's blessing and with people's what a job you did for this club and you need to be remembered in, in history for that do I think it'll be in the short term no because I think he believes there's lots of unfinished business to do in the short term this season uh, and in the in the medium term and like I say he's loyal um, you know and that's why he gets so much backing from us um, as a club and, and from me personally that's why we get so much backing from him you know in terms of both personally as a club is because you know there's a real loyalty towards each other there's a real plan for each other and I think genuinely he loves the job he's doing he loves the club he loves the opportunity that it's given him um we love probably more what he's done for us but you know i think it's sometimes it's like a it's like a beautiful marriage sometimes it works and it's all right that everyone wins out of it and everyone's sort of happy out of it and i think at the moment um we're in a beautiful marriage and hopefully divorce will never come uh, but if it does it'll be very amicable and you know we can still see the kids